Welcome to the C3 Church Watson Podcast. Our vision is to connect you to Jesus, grow you as a disciple, and help you serve His purpose. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. It's good to see you. As we are continuing our United series today, where we are looking at our biblical call to be unified as the body of believers known as the church. So Psalm 133 says, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. I love the fellowship of the church. I love it. I love doing life together. I love the the sitting around the campfire, singing Kumbaya moments of the church, which we haven't done often enough more recently. Bring it back, I say. I love it. It's part of the sweetness of the church. And it feels good. Yet unity is more than just a feel-good way to live in community. Unity is also a powerful and essential way for the church to live. Unity is critical to the church achieving its purpose. So that same scripture in Psalm 33 goes on to paint a picture of unity amongst God's people being not just pleasant, but being the place of abundant anointing the place of refreshing and blessing and life, the place where we are empowered over the whole body to serve his purpose. So in week one of this series, Pastor Paul spoke into the church's purpose to build up the body of believers and bring every believer to maturity in Christ. And last week, Pastor Mel spoke into the church's purpose to share the good news of Jesus. Jesus' final prayer was that we would be one so that, so that the world would know that he was sent by God and know the love that God has for them. So I want to look at another purpose of the church today, and it's fulfillment in the unified body. And that is that the church is built as the earthly dwelling place of God the earthly dwelling place of the Spirit, a place to bring Him glory and reflect His glory to the whole world. So we're going to come to that in just a moment. But my husband was telling me the other day about a, a message he listened to under one of the pastors he was under at the time. And the pastor started the message, declared this, Today, church, we are going to talk about the greatest miracle of the New Testament. And he opened up his Bible to Acts 4, and he read, the believers were gathered, and they were of one mind and one heart. What a miracle. So we can say that tongue-in-cheek with humor, but the punchline lands for a reason. Because we know that the reality of the church can so often be disunity. Many hearts and many minds divided against each other. The church as a collective of the individual believers can so often struggle with unity. I can struggle with unity in the fellowship of believers. And what has been made very clear to me over the years is that unity is something 
We must both choose and guard. Jesus said in Matthew 12, any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. Any city or house divided against itself will not stand. So if unity is key to the church standing and achieving its purpose, then with eyes wide open, we need to recognize that our unity is going to be a target in the spiritual battle that we are in. There are powers and principalities that are hell-bent, literally, on bringing division in the body of Christ. And the scriptures tell us in Romans to be watchful for what brings disunity. We must be vigilant to the battle and resilient to how we deal with what comes our way. So this strategy of division, it's not new to the church. In fact, it's not even new to creation. It was the enemy's first strategy right back in the Garden of Eden. And it's his key strategy. Break the unity between man and God, man and woman, person and person, because divided we cannot stand. We see examples of this throughout the scriptures and many of the letters that are written to the early churches address the challenges which were threatening their unity. And we're going to look at a small excerpt today from Ephesians, one of those letters, and see what it is that the modern church can learn from what those who have navigated it before us have learned. So a little bit of context. Ephesians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus, which was a major, in a major city, a center of trade, commerce, and culture. So at the time of Paul's writing, Christianity was not a politically correct religion. It was embedded in a religiously and, and philosophically pluralist culture that had embraced many beliefs and many gods and many truths. And Christians who spoke of one God and the truth were persecuted for being intolerant and unaccepting. So the church found themselves under significant pressure to conform to the norms of the society around them. And on top of this, there was confusion around competing doctrines and beliefs even amongst Christians within the church. Is any of this sounding familiar? It's in this context that Paul writes to the Ephesians and emphasizes the importance of unity amongst believers. So the whole book is incredibly rich. I encourage you to go read it. But today we're going to focus on one short passage and it's found in Ephesians 2. Let's have a quick look. It says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. What an incredible picture of the church. There is so much there about the unified church. We're fellow citizens, God's people, a household, a whole building being built together 
It's a picture of unity. So the first point I want to make today starts where that scripture finishes off, and it is this, that the church is built to be the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. That scripture, in him the whole building is joined together and rises up to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The body of Christ here on earth is the temple of God. The dwelling place of the spirit. That's hard to get your head around at times. The dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3 says, Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? When you look closer at the original language of this text where it says you together, it's saying together to be. In other words, the reason you exist, the reason you've been brought together is for this purpose to be the dwelling place of the Spirit of God. It's our reason for being together as a united body. And that scripture goes on to say in 1 Corinthians, God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Is your heart beating fast? (laughs) My heart's beating fast right now. So holy, so sacred is the temple of God. So worthy of its protection is the temple. So critical is the unity of the church to God's spirit dwelling there that God will destroy what destroys his temple. You can feel the weight of God's heart and his purpose for the church. It's uncomfortable, but you feel the weight of it. God is not for division. In unity, the church becomes the dwelling place of God. The presence and the power of God rests on unity. And as I was praying about this message, a couple of, started a couple of weeks ago, I immediately got a really strong image in my mind, even before I came to this scripture for today. I had a really clear picture of a a mighty fortress standing atop a really tall hill. And it was radiating with light. There was light filling it. There was light pouring out of it, so much so that the whole fortress was ablaze. And as I thought on that, God said, that is my church fortified, strong, unshakable and filled and surrounded by my glory. And in my a moment of flawed thinking, it's just a moment, I'm allowed a moment every now and again, but in a moment of flawed thinking, I was like, yes, that is the church of God protecting and guarding itself against the world and the persecutions of the world and God in his grace just opened the vision up to floods of people entering in. Matthew 5 says the church is the light of the world and a town on a hill. We are not the church fortifying ourselves against 
people of the world, even though at times it feels like we are at war with them. Pastor Mel spoke about that last week. We are here to be a mighty fortress where people in this world see the glory of God, see the light and come and take refuge from their common enemy who is after their lives. God knows the church must be strong and unified for the sake of the world. So that Ephesians 2, our original passage, it says, you too, which means you too are being built together. You are being pieced together, skillfully placed and purposed by God as part of his plan in the church. For the church to rise up atop the mountain, visible to more and more and more people. Without you, there's a piece missing. Our walls are not as strong. We are not whole. We're shorter. Not as many people can see us without you. 1 Peter 2 says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You are also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So you also, like living stones, are being built together. You know, those spiritual sacrifices, they look like anything that builds unity. They look like our worship and our prayer and our devotion to teaching and living the truth. Our time, our serving, our building up of others, our forgiving of offenses, our repairing of fractures and making room for imperfections and bearing with one another in love, which is another instruction that the Apostle Paul gave to the Ephesian church. So our scripture again says it's in him. It's in Jesus. The whole building is joined together. Our unity and the purpose of the church is fulfilled when we remain in Jesus. In Jesus. And let's be honest, it is only Jesus that could take a bunch of broken, flawed, prone to sin people and give them a divine purpose. So let's have a look at two ways that we remain in Jesus as the church. This is point number two. We remain in Christ, in our Christ-given identity. Ephesians 2, 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. So consequently. Consequently to what? Well, earlier in that scripture in that, the book of Ephesians, Paul paints a really beautiful picture of how Jesus entered into the world and crossed every single dividing line between people and united people together in him. He crossed ethnicity, he crossed class, he crossed gender, he crossed ability and said, if you come to me, you get a brand new identity. And it's as fellow citizens and members of God's household Take a note that that's a collective identity. It's not an individual identity. It's, it's not me, it's us. So Jesus sets the tone for the whole church here. 
saying you're no longer divided by what makes you different or by your differences, but you are united by what you share in common. As members of my family, you have a new and shared identity. 2 Corinthians 5, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. So Jesus and his early followers spent a really good chunk of time encouraging the church to step out of their old identity and into their new. To not think the way of the old, but think the way of the new. And we see this in Paul's letter. You're no longer foreigners, but members of a household. So he's saying to the Ephesian church, and we could be saying it to the Canberran church, step out of the old thinking patterns into your new thinking patterns. Stop looking at what's different and divides, but what's common and unites. So I was journeying some stuff with God last year, and one of the, as part of this you know, journey, I was bringing some things to him that I was just incredibly frustrated about because you know those cycles in life that just tend to, we've been around this tree many times, many times, God. I'd been around this tree far too many times in these areas of life, and I was needing a shift, and I was in the scriptures studying it, and I had a, a really beautiful, fresh revelation of, of me in God and uh, my relationship to him and him to me. It was just a, an incredible revelation in those, that moment. And as I sat in that revelation, God said to me, I'm giving you new wine. And that might sound a bit of a strange thing. I mean, I love a glass of wine. But it's embedded in a scripture. It comes from a scripture in Matthew 9, where he talks about putting new wine into new wineskins. And so I was pretty happy about that. In fact, I had someone else come up to me at a meeting, and they also said to me, hey, I think God's giving you new wine. I'm like, this is awesome. Love it. Thank you, God. But not all that long ago, I found myself in an all-too-familiar battle. And I was wrestling with this one night, or really it was the early hours of the morning, frustrated, and I said to God, where is my new wine? Where is the new wine that you said you were giving me? And he very firmly but very graciously said, it's in the new wineskin I gave you. But the way you're thinking right now, that's old wineskin. That's old wineskin thinking. The old way of thinking before we became members of God's household co-heirs with Christ, members of the royal priesthood, that old thinking does not hold the new wine of God's church. Our thinking needs to shift to what unites us, to what is common. It's not about ignoring our differences. We see throughout the scriptures that diversity is God's design. He's made us all different for a purpose, and that will strengthen the body of Christ, absolutely. We will differ in our personalities and our passions and our spiritual gifts and our perspectives and our ways of thinking and seeing the world, and all of it's necessary for serving the body. We can turn our points of difference from being, being something that divides us to something that strengthens the body of Christ when we bring it into Him. 
So the enemy is going after our identity as a church because it's a place of unity and power. But God gave us a new command. Jesus gave us a new command, and we find it in John 13. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. You could put in brackets there, with all your differences and all your flaws. Love one another. And there's a scripture as well that lays this out for us really clearly, and I use this actually as a checklist when I'm struggling in relationship or struggling with unity amongst believers, whether it's in my personal life or what I'm seeing. I use this as a a bit of a measuring stick, and I want to emphasize it's a measuring stick that we can use for us, not a, a beating stick we use for others, right? So let's have a quick look, and this is what I do in 1 Corinthians 13. Am I being patient, kind? Am I envious, boastful, or proud? Am I dishonoring others or self-seeking? Am I easily angered and keeping records of wrongs? Am I delighting in evil or rejoicing with truth? Am I protective and trusting and hopeful and persevering in loving the body of Christ? Who knew that wasn't just for weddings? Did you know that was not just for weddings? It's not just for weddings. We get to use it as a checklist. And I go to that checklist and I promise you I don't measure up most of the time. And I deal with myself first. And then I take it to where a conversation might need to happen. I'll get the band up. So this brings us to our final point. We see it in our Ephesians 2 scripture, looking at how do we remain in Jesus and choose and guard our unity. And that's we remain on the foundations of the teaching of truth that was laid down by the apostles like Paul and the prophets and anchored in Christ. We see that in verse 19 to 20. Every building relies on a strong foundation for stability that doesn't move, that's sure, that's safe, that remains strong and true. And we, the church, have the firmest of foundations in the Bible. So the apostles and prophets laid down the foundation in the early church times. They taught the Word, they inspired by it, they encouraged by it, they equipped by it. They admonished and warned and built up believers according to the truth. And in Acts 2, we we actually read that they were devoted, devoted to the apostles' teachings. So throughout Scripture, we hear the voices of the apostles and prophets imploring us to live according to the Word of God without addition, without corruption, without change. It's not a truth they made up. It's anchored in Jesus, the cornerstone. Jesus said, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. So we're reunited in him by remaining in his word. By our individual and collective commitment to teach and live by the Word of God, growing by it, maturing by it, being built by it. 
because the battle's on for what is truth. It's not on just in the world, it's on in the church as well. And as in the Ephesian culture, it's, it's not acceptable to say there's one God, one truth, and that Jesus wants to shape your life around that truth. There's a temptation to let the culture of our day shape truth rather than allowing the Bible to shape how we see and love in the culture of our day. And I can confidently say that it's in the hearts of every person across this place and it's certainly the heart of this church that we would do that well. And in such a way that people encounter the true Jesus, the true love of their Creator. It doesn't come from changing the Word, changing Him. It comes from allowing every word to change us that we would reveal Him more and more. So we're just going to close our eyes and look away to God. Maybe you're here today and you're seeing Jesus for the first time or you're hearing for the first time about this household of God that people are invited into. He extends the invitation to you too. He invites you to be a part of His family. We do that by surrendering our lives to Him, inviting Him to be Lord. And in this house, we do that together by praying a collective prayer. And I want to invite you that if you want to enter into the household of God, if you want to encounter Jesus for who He truly is, then why don't you join us and pray this prayer together? Dear God, thank you for sending Jesus into this world. Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins and for welcoming me into God's family for all eternity. I ask you to forgive me and heal me. I surrender my life to you today. Teach me how to live as a new creation. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you in church again this weekend. To find out more about our church, find us online at c3churchwatson.com.au.